So welcome to Consider the Question. It is February the 18th. I'm Steve Broadway. I'm moderating, and I have with me Morgan Weiss, Jim Johnson, and Drew Moss. And today we're going to be talking about why, as Arminians, we love Calvinists so much. And so the the complete reductionist way of saying this is, what is it with the free will versus predetermination? Where do we fall on that? Why do we like the other side so much? And then, of course, there's a whole lot more complexity to it than just that description. That That is a, a uh, an unfair reduction, really, of the topic. So I'm going to turn to Drew and ask Drew to, to peel the onion back a little bit and begin to define on the Calvinist side what is a, a basic understanding of that view of this issue. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at its most kind of basic level, Calvinism kind of um, differentiates from Arminianism or from basically from what probably most of our listeners believe by these five core doctrines, what's called the five points of Calvinism. And uh, it's usually remembered through this acronym TULIP, as in the flower. And so uh, the first one there, T, stands for total depravity. And that is the idea that the human condition is so marred and broken by sin. Um, Every part of us, our mind, our hearts, our emotions, our will is so broken that basically we cannot see God for who he is. So, so to, is this closely related to the idea of original sin or being born in original sin? Closely, ro- closely rooted in that? connected, yeah, okay. connected. Original sin almost has to do more with kind of the depth of it, yep, and okay. total depravity has to do with the extensiveness of it, that it kind of covers all of us. And so if I were using, say, Morgan and Jim as an example through this, that would be that both of them as human beings are, are so depraved by sin that given the choice between God and sin, they will choose sin every time. Um, that, that they can't help but choose sin every time, which means they're basically destined for hell because of that, for judgment. Um, U stands for unconditional election, and that is that God has chosen or elected, or kind of the famous term is predestined, some people before time to be saved based on no conditions or merits of their own. So the bad news for Morgan is that she is broken and depraved by sin, the good news is that God determined before time began that she would be saved. And the bad news for Jim is that he did not determine that Jim would be saved. Oh, <laughs> so, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. See, I, was, I believe in the total depravity of yeah. Jim Johnson. Yeah. Now I'm not elected. Uh, uh, yeah, so, Ouch. And, and this is not because Morgan is nicer than Jim. It's not because right. she's better. It's, it's no merit of her own. It is simply because God chose Morgan in and his wanted sovereignty. to choose Morgan. Yeah, in yeah. his sovereignty. His prerogative. His will, his pleasure. He decided to choose Morgan and not choose Jim. Um, I would choose Morgan over me. Sure, sure. So it makes sense. Um, she's a lot nicer. She is. She's a very nice young lady. Uh, the third L is limited atonement. And this one, honestly, is kind of the most controversial. There, there are some Calvinists who call themselves four-point Calvinists because they don't believe in this particular doctrine. But this is the idea that Jesus's blood does not cover all the sins of the world. It is, it is only there to cover the elect, those who are chosen. So when Jesus died on a cross... That blood atones for Morgan. It is there to atone for her when she accepts him. But it does. It was never spilled to atone for Jim and his sins. Um, so is the controversy because people don't like the idea, or are there scriptural things? For example, yeah. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Yes. You know, there's some scriptural basis for yes. that idea. Yes. That's is that the root of the controversy? Yes. And there is the, there is some obviously some people don't like the idea, but mm-hmm. I, I think the bigger issue, and that's what we want, anytime we want to talk about this, we don't want to 
we don't want to like or dislike something because it sounds icky or mean. Hopefully we like or dislike something because it, it matches or doesn't match up with scripture. Sure. Right. And that's, and with limited tone, I would say of the five points, it is the most difficult to find in scripture is it would become from my perspective and opinion. Um, and, one, and one thing real quickly on this is yeah. it's important to understand what they're saying is, is does Jesus's blood actually save? Like, does it have like efficacy? Does it have the ability to do that? And so if it does, then then everybody's saved. If Jesus died for the sins of the world, then all of the sins of the world are forgiven. So does that extrapolate to universalism? It, well, that's what that's what they would argue, uh-huh. right? Is so, that, so that's their argument against, yes, against that. us. Yes. Yeah. Do you believe that Jesus died and, the, and he died for the sins of the world? Yes. So does Jesus' blood atone? Yes. Therefore, what would you say? And a Calvinist would say, well, we don't believe that in universalism. Right. So therefore, it must be limited. Yeah, so it's okay. an inference from the theological development. It's an inference in which I, I say, okay, now there's other ways to respond to that. There's other questions mm-hmm. that I think come into play, but there's some great logic in terms of what they're saying. Yes. I so, can see that. But, it, but you don't necessarily have to conclude that because his blood could atone, could atone for all the sins of the world or was shed for all of it, that it then results in salvation yes. for all right yes. those, those there to put a finer point on it, those could be two different which things. could yes. be a response yes yeah, exactly. yes okay cool. very good so very good keep on trucking so fourth is this idea of irresistible grace and that basically says when the time comes when god reveals himself to morgan when the holy spirit comes to her she will it is um guaranteed that she will respond to that she will not resist that grace it's it's irresistible and so because he's chosen her before time it is um, a foregone conclusion that she will accept and respond to the gospel when she when she hears it. Maybe not the first time, but when when the Holy Spirit comes, when God deems it is time, she will respond to that. And then the last P stands for perseverance of the saints. This is the idea that those who have been chosen and elected by God, who do respond to His gospel, they will stay true to the end. God will stay true to them to the end and keep them safe. That they will. They, they will never lose their salvation and they will remain faithful to him all the way through to the end. And that does differentiate from kind of the common, um, the popular once saved, always saved. So once saved, always saved is the belief that I said a prayer at junior high camp um, and, and asked Jesus into my heart. And then no matter how I live after that, then, uh, then I'm fine. I'll, I'll still go to heaven because I said the prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart so I can do whatever now. Calvinism would say, no, 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 if you do that, if, if you say a prayer in junior high and then you live however you want and never respond and repent and follow Jesus, that's just a sign that you never actually accepted him in the first place, that you were never actually one of the elect. Spurious conversion or... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so th- it's not a once saved, always saved for Calvinism. It is a if saved, always saved, right? Great line, yeah. So, yeah. I love that. If saved, always saved. It's yeah. Jesus saying you'll know a tree by its fruit. Yes. Right? There's going to be evidence in, in the truly saved yes. yeah. that they are. That they are. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, you have text in John. Uh, I love in First John, John makes the statement about uh, there were some people at the church there who were no longer part of the fellowship, and he makes the statement, and they left us, so therefore they were never a part of mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And so you have a text, and you go, well, how do you explain that? I mean, he, he, he says right there. Um, so all of these things that, you know, Drew has just described, um, and there's so much more, I want to make it clear that, uh, I guarantee I got a lot of good friends that are, uh, rather reformed and, uh, and which their is fully kind of another, reformed. yeah, another it? way of describing the Calvinistic yeah. perspective would yeah. be the reformed perspective. 
Um, and they would listen to this, and I'm sure they would have questions about, well, sure, Drew, I, you explained it right, but there's more that could be sure. explained. Yeah, I, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and we don't, we're not trying to do all of it, yep. but we are trying to accurately represent them. And actually, you know, this podcast, as you described at the beginning, Steve, is saying, hey, why do we like we it? We kind of love why? it. <laughs> yeah, why, why, why do we have, and not everybody within what we call the Armenian camp have this fascination or interest. Not everybody does. There are still numbers of people connected to us that kind of it bristles at them a lot, and they're still wanting right. to write books and argue against it. And, uh, and, and I even enjoy some of those, but mm -hmm. there's something strangely warming. So you referred to us, okay, so let's, let's create some context. Sunnybrook Christian Church, where we all serve and are a part of, comes from the Restoration Movement tradition, which originally was Reformed in its thinking. Yes. But Presbyterian. We, yeah. Presbyterian, so, but, yeah. but uh, m many of the ministers in the Christian Church come out of Bible colleges, yep. such as Ozark, which yep. is where we have the greatest amount of affinity, which is a very Arminian yes. uh, perspective. So. Yes. So help us kind of understand where we come from <laughs> yeah. as a church yeah. and and what our historical view of all of this would be. Yeah, and I'll try to do it quickly too. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because uh, our forefathers, so to speak, really come from a movement um, that have at their very core uh, an allegiance to the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, which would be reformed in its thinking, um, which would have the Westminster Confession of Faith as its backdrop and its explanation of the biblical text that needs to be submitted to and appreciated. And um, particularly Thomas and Alexander Campbell, who are two of the most often quoted forefathers of our movement, um, come from that tradition. And as they were reading the text, they had some problems with the Westminster. And so, uh, and a lot, of the, a lot of the teaching of that day and they had a desire. Let's just go back to the Bible. Like, why do we need the Westminster Confession of Faith? Let's just go back to the Bible. Why do we need these creeds? Let's just go back to the Bible. And so they began to interpret it outside of the, uh, the stereotypical way in which it had been interpreted. And so you have somewhat of a move. And so their intention was not, let's follow uh, the Arminius perspective, Arminian perspective is uh, named after a gentleman, Jacob or Jacob Arminius, um, who is the one that began to question a lot of the Calvinistic thinking, grew up just kind of on the heels of John Calvin. And he, he was one of the first to begin to question some of the final statements within Calvin, Calvinistic doctrine. Um, Which, and, by the way, was developed by his followers. Yes, more than him. I mean, later, right? yeah, Theodore Beza, who comes along after John Calvin, probably systematizes it even more than John does. So it's and it goes even back all the way to Augustine. So mm -hmm. it's really a kind of a complicated development of theological thinking, trying to explain how God saves us and what God is doing and what is God's sovereign will in all of this and how how are we predestined and how does God know these things and all of that. So there's lots of, of things that are happening. But the Restoration Churches come from a movement that have as its one of its core beliefs that we can go to the scriptures and read them, and then from the scriptures themselves come up with answers and conclusions. Mm -hmm. So it has what we would describe an exegetically based, which is I'm not going to listen to Westminster to explain Acts 2.38. I'm going to read Acts 2.38, and if it, if it agrees with Westminster, great. And if it doesn't, I'm chucking Westminster is kind of the basic piece. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's, that's so complicated because uh, it's, it's a chicken and an egg thing. How do you have eggs without chickens and chickens without eggs? So how do you have a system of thought, and how do you then use that system to interpret texts? And once you look at a number of texts, you have, by definition, created a system. So it is a—we we could talk 
for a long time just about how those two things interrelate. But our movement began to move away from very quickly, like a more of a Calvinistic Westminster view of things, but had this strong appeal to let the Bible say what the Bible says. And so that's the part where I would say, uh, I, I don't, I, those guys would say our forefathers, so to speak, you know, they would even say, listen, we're not trying to be Arminian. We're just trying to be true to the text. And the true understanding of the text is X. So we actually have an anti-systematic perspective, which I have loved. And as I've gotten older, I've realized it's way more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of where we're at. And so although our perspective has by definition been more Arminian than Calvinist, the part that is freeing, and I think it begins to answer the question, why do we have this interest? I think we have an interest because you know, we also have not just this allegiance to Arminian teaching. We have an allegiance to the Bible. Right, to the text. And so, you know, to just answer your question in part, why do we have an interest in the uh, Reformed and Calvinist perspective? Because they get a lot of things right. And we're allowed to say, since I've got a greater allegiance to the Bible than I do to an Arminian theolo theological perspective, when they get it right, we can, we can cheer that on. We can submit to them. We can say, wow, man, thank you so much for reminding us um, how God moves and how God works, and that election is a part of it. Now, how we're elected is another issue, but thank you for bringing those things up. Thank you for helping us understand that the perseverance of the saints is a doctrine we probably shouldn't just jettison, and we need to do the fine work of even differentiating between once saved, always saved, and if saved, always saved. Um, and that's the part that I've really enjoyed, and I, I think that the Restoration Churches— um, many of them, although having an Arminian perspective, because they have a greater adherence to the biblical text, uh, have an ear to hear what our Calvinist Reformed brothers and sisters say, preach, and teach, and we just applaud. So, so this, yeah, is, so this is, go ahead. Can I just jump in for, for those who are listening going, so you're saying Arminian a lot, but what specifically does the Arminian yeah. position believe? <laughs> yeah, because you, know what I mean? you can't explain Calvinism and then yeah. go, and yeah. so this is what they believe, and people are probably going, so what do we believe? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't understand why we disagree with everything or yes. why we do agree with everything. So. so technically, the Arminian position would be almost, not exactly, but almost the opposite of the five things that I just stated. Um, although when, when the Arminians first kind of put out their what's called the Articles of Remonstrance, kind of their points, like they actually stated their belief in total depravity before the Calvinist position kind of stated yeah. it. So they actually... So we're, so, least, we're as, as a classic Arminian, we yeah. are at least a one-point Calvinist. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they believe in that, but they would say rather than unconditional election, that God, yes, does elect people to salvation, but it is based on based on the fact that he knows they will choose him. So because Morgan in her free will is going to choose Jesus, God says, she's mine. Um, so, so this this goes to the end of time and looks back and says, "I know, I, I know what's going to happen." It's an eschatological view of election. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, or or it's an eschatological perspective. Perspective. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's like it's only that, but they would. You know, one of the big questions is is that uh, from the Calvinist perspective, Reformed perspective, that God does the unconditional election apart from his knowledge of the decisions that they will make. And the Arminian would argue it's foreknowledge at it's work. For, yeah, it's foreknowledge at work in it. Right. Right. Yeah, and right, so right, that's right. where it gets. So God okay. looks ahead and he knows. The, the main issue that Calvinism and Arminianism kind of spins around is free will. Right. Yes. Do we have the free will to choose God mm -hmm. or does God choose us a long time beforehand and we have no say in it? And the Armenian position says, yes, 
we yes god is sovereign and yes he is at work and yet he gives us the choice in the matter to choose him or not and therefore jesus blood is unlimited in its atonement scope and whoever would take hold of it whoever would believe in him gets the effects of that unlimited atonement. and, and in some conversations i've heard people take a strident view of free will and i think they're they're not necessarily well-informed free willers and I get the sense that they don't like the idea that they don't have a choice in the matter. Yeah. But I think the reason that we like that is that we like to be at the we like to be in control of things. Yes. It puts us more at the center of everything. Yes. Yes. Which I think is a flaw, potentially a flaw in that way of thinking. Yes. It's not a good. It's not a good basis for for adopting that position just because I like the fact that I have choice. Yes. But watch how they catch us. This is good. <laughs> so are we totally depraved or not? Like if we're totally depraved, then how do we choose them? Exactly. So you mean we're partially depraved. You mean our will isn't destroyed. We actually have like a, but, we have a perfect will still because we can choose him. That's, that would be the Calvinist perspective. So are mm-hmm. you, are you totally depraved or not? And, and the Arminians had to answer that question. So if we are totally depraved, then we cannot, if we believe that, which yep. they, then how do we choose him? But that's what Drew was saying about it's, we believe, we believe in the, Sorry, Jim. Jim wants me to be closer to the microphone. Um, that's what Drew is saying about we believe in this original sin as in like it's a de- it's depth. Is that how you said it? And yeah. theirs is more. How did you say that? Well, original it's like sin it has covers to... each little. I don't know. You explain it. Original sin having to do with kind of the depth into our heart from the very right. that we are born into sin, and right. then total depravity having to do with the breadth of kind of covering my will and my emotions and my heart and all these yeah. things. And so, but are we totally depraved or not? Yeah. And I would say, I believe yes. And so okay. then the question is, if my will is so broken that I can't choose God, then how can I say I have a free will to choose God yes. as an Arminian? Yeah, that's the that, question. That's, that yeah. is the million. I mean, we've got to answer that now. And the answer within the Arminian camp was they developed an idea, which is not found in scripture. Doesn't mean it's not true. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of these ideas that we're talking about are supported by scripture, but mm-hmm. not articulated by scripture the way that we might like it to be. And, and it doesn't mean that this conversation is bad or improper. We've got to explain our faith. And so the, the, the response from the Armenian camp is there is something known as prevenient grace, which bolsters or supports our ability to overcome our total depravity to respond to the gospel. So God assists us in that process. Yes. By, and then how does he do that? How does he do that? Well, is it the Holy Spirit? Is it the preaching of the gospel? Um, And so there's lots of different questions around that. So again, the Reformed or Calvinist response would be, well, where's that found in scripture? And it gets complicated. Yep. So, you know, just, but just so you understand, this is why in the end I just go, okay, I, I had to kind of make up some things. And when I say make up, I don't mean infer. make up. Yeah, yeah, I have to infer some things. Um, when we're trying to ask these questions about how does God save us? Well, through Jesus. No, but how through Jesus does he save us? Um, these are good questions that we need to be asking. They're, they're mature questions that we need to be thinking through. Um, that when you're five years old and where do babies come from, the hospital's a great answer. But when you're 18, probably an irresponsible answer. When you're coming to your faith, how are you saved? By belief in Jesus Christ, by submit, great answer. And that is always true. It's not going to be any less true. But when we say, okay, but how in fact does that happen? What's going on inside of a eight-year-old or a 22-year-old? How does regeneration begin? And who is responsible for that? 
Um, I, I think one of the things that just always has been on my heart is what has it been in me that causes me to respond to the gospel? Mm-hmm. And I can't explain it. I just can't. I can't mm-hmm. go, well, I have this will that's better than my friend who did not right. accept. I'm just smarter. You know, my IQ is X and his is X minus one. And so I'm, or you know, I'm a better person. That's the reason why. None of those things seem to be the answer. So where did that come from? So even existentially or experientially, as I try to think through this, I, maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe I was like chosen by God to believe. That, that doesn't sound that crazy as I think through how I came to faith. And for that reason, I'm drawn to some of these explanations. I don't think it finally answers it, but, you know, again, we're asking the question, why are we drawn to this? I'm going, because it matches up my life. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you, they explain You can it hear well. that even in like the testimony of our people, which would be, here's how God worked to bring me to where I am, yes. to where I accepted him, right? Mm-hmm. That's in everybody's testimony. Yeah. And I love that. And by the way, you know, I love the fact that Morgan's here because, you know, we, Morgan is not just a children's pastor, but Morgan is somebody who wants to know about God. She is, you know, so eager to learn. She's a student at heart, which makes her a great pastor slash children's pastor. You know, so why do you have a children's pastor on a show on, uh, or a podcast on this issue? I'm going, uh, because this is how Morgan thinks. And she wants to explain these difficult doctrinal truths to everybody for her. There's a lot of kids involved, mm-hmm. but it matters. Like how she explains, she probably does more conversations with parents and children about what's happening in an eight-year-old's mind, mm-hmm. and she needs to be able to think about this biblically and at a at a level where she can explain to an eight-year-old and their thirty-five-year-old parents how does conversion take place. Love so it. I'm realizing this this conversation has been going on at a minimum for over four hundred years. You go back to yeah. the Reformation and Calvin yeah. and all that. I would say then, since 400 AD. So Right. So if you go all the way back to yeah. Augustine or Augustine. And probably before that at some level. A right? really, really long time. Yeah. 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 Where is, you know, if we're, if we're going to the scripture as the source, like why is there this controversy? And is, and is it actually a paradox? Like because there are things that you could say on the surface seem to be contradictory in scripture. Yeah. Like if this is true, how can also that be true? So how do we... Well, there's two questions in there, right? What, why do we still have to have this conversation? And are we dealing with paradox? And like, how do we, how do we resolve that? Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple things to, to kind of um, wrestle through. First of all, we would argue that this is not, this, this issue is not a in, uh, like saved or not saved question. What yes. you believe about this isn't doesn't make you a Christian or not a Christian. Mm-hmm. So yep. you can be We're a under Christ- a, the same umbrella in that sense. Yes, yes. Right. So uh, you can be a Christian and believe the Calvinist perspective on this. You can be a Christian and believe the Arminian perspective. So you're it's, not a heretic on either exactly. side. Exactly. I, I really do believe you can be an Orthodox, um, gospel-centered Christian in either spot. And we both believe, I mean, on both sides of the fence. I mean, yeah. the majority of Arminians believe that Calvinists are believers. The majority of Calvinists believe that Arminians are believers. So this yeah. is a universal, hey, this is a camp with, or this is a discussion or an argument or whatever, debate within the Christian camp. It's not Christians yes. arguing with non-Christians. Right? Yes. And 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 then the, the reason it is that it has, the debate has been going back at least to 400 AD, if not to when Paul first wrote the book of Romans. Um <laughs> <laughs> then, then you know, it's because it 
there there are these truths that we see kind of held up and and you know we talked about the hypostatic union you know uh, in our, a couple podcasts ago and we see this truth said over and over again that Jesus was a man and then we see this truth come up over and over again that yep. Jesus was God and we're left having to look at those things and go okay these two things have to fit together and there is paradox and there's a tension that I can't let go. I have to hold on to both without letting go of the other. And so we see this, that God is sovereign in those who, who are his people. He, he chooses and he brings people to him in his sovereignty. And then I, we believe that we see clearly, clearly that like people have a, a choice in the matter, a free will. And when Luke says that like the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for themselves, I have to do something with that text. Um, and so that there's a free will and a sovereignty and somehow we've got to hold these two things in tension. Mm -hmm. And so the two sides are, you know, the temptation is to just run to the other one at the expense of the other. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and so the, the Calvinists would argue that Arminians are running to the free will and they're losing God's sovereignty. And, and Arminians would argue that you're running to God's sovereignty and you're losing man's responsibility in the issue mm -hmm. and free will. And so, so that tension holds in, and our, our belief is though we lean towards the Armenian perspective that both of these really do have to be held mm -hmm. together at the same time, you know? Well, and I, I love the, you know, cause we, this is what happens, you know, even Morgan and I were having a conversation yesterday and, you know, just kind of in preparation for this and asking the question, you know, one thing I love about Calvinism is their sovereignty of God. Okay, but we believe in the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. So the question really isn't, yeah, we don't believe God is as sovereign as a Calvinist. That's really not a good way of describing an Arminian perspective. It really isn't. It's is, too, is the difference how we think that sovereignty is worked out. How is the sovereignty worked out? So, yeah. the, you know, for example, like which is more sovereign for a God, to remove free will or to be sovereign over and in our free will? I think I could argue rather effectively that the more sovereign God is the one who gives free will and works in perfect conjunction with it. Now, we might say, well, how does that happen? Okay, again, I don't know how that happens. But here are texts that we know, right? We have yeah. to go back. It can't just be what we think and what we don't think. You yeah. know, yeah. lots of people, when they're arguing these two points, Arminianism and Calvinism, I think a text that we refer to quite a bit is in First Timothy 4, whenever it talks about um, that we are striving and, and then it talks about let us not continue, you know, give up doing that. And then it says, because God has saved us and then it's and even more for those who are saved, something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we, obviously we talk about John three, John three, you know, that he, for God to love the world that he gave his only son and then that all who believe in him, you know, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So those are kind of texts that Arminianists go to. Um, and Calvinism, what are some texts that Calvinists would go to? Well, Probably the, Romans. Well, what's funny is, is that they don't only love the Romans text, Romans eight and others, but they, you know, they love Ephesians one, which talks about for those, no, no that'd be the eight Romans text. Um, in Ephesians one, it has the, the God predestined that mm -hmm. God has orchestrated all of these things. And it doesn't necessarily answer. I mean, this is the part that I find fascinating. It doesn't really answer the question how. How does God predestine? Mm -hmm. See, that's the question. So um, as much as the Calvinists would go there and say, hey, look at this, as a, mm -hmm. as a person who's trying to avoid actually landing firmly in both camps because I'd rather land in the biblical text, and that is way easier said than just done. Right. Um, I want to say, no, 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 I totally believe in the predestined nature. Uh, one quick thing to just kind of put in your mind is God predestined the man, 
Jim Johnson, or does God predestine a plan for all who choose to follow Christ? And so what Paul is describing in in, uh, Ephesians 1 or what Paul is describing in the book of Romans, is he describing a people who, or is he describing his individual election Mm -hmm. of? And I, I literally think, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's the part. I like Drew's idea of I got to hold on to both of these. Is Jesus God or man? Yeah. Yes. Because pushed we, to the extreme, you'll find faults on both sides. Yeah. And, I, and it's also probably even good to know is that um, Arminianism isn't one side of the spectrum and Calvinism is the other. There's something on the other side of Arminianism, which goes all the way to God doesn't know the future, known as mm-hmm. open theism. Right. So when you take the free will to the end, there are those on the other side of the Arminian camp who say, listen, um, God doesn't know the future, because if he did know the future, then it was set. And I look at those people and I go, that's crazy that God doesn't know the future, right? And a Calvinist or a reform person would go, I told you, that's, but that's where your thinking leads. Mm-hmm. And then I love to look over the Calvinist and say, okay, fine, let me ask you this question. So God not only predestines those to be saved, but right. he also predestines those for hell. Like right. He intentionally goes, Jim's I'm gonna going to create you and, and Jim's send going you to, to hell. hell. Yeah, yeah. I, I created you to go to hell. Right. Right. And our many or Calvinists traditionally, both Augustine and John Calvin say, no, that's not true. God doesn't elect people to hell. He just elects those to be saved. To which we would just say, well, but by doing that, does he not also, and they say no. And you go, well, how does he do that? And they go, yeah, we can't explain that. And I mm-hmm. say, well, see see where your logic leads? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's good to read. You have the double the f- predestination Calvinists. Right, right. You've got open theists. I believe both of them are nuts. Right. I, I mean, that in all due respect. They're n- I mean, <laughs> I do. I, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I just think it's nuts. I just think that that is not what... My reformed brothers are saying, my reformed brothers and sisters are saying, it's not what my Armenian brothers and sisters are saying. Um, and so there are extremes on the other side of us that we've got to try to figure out. So how do we do that? You know, And that's kind of the, the interest that we have in this. Yeah. So let me ask this question. There, there are some preachers that we've been listening to in the last few years, and the ones that we have gravitated to have really been the reformed guys. Uh, there's, you know, there's, Chandler at the village is a is a leading example in my mind. Sure, love man, I love hearing Matt Chandler yeah, preach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why do we love these guys so much? <laughs> yeah, look, right can I, now, yeah, Can yeah. I real quick, just so people who are listening are aware, if you like Francis Chan, if you like Tim Keller, if you like John Piper, if you like Andrew Wilson, my latest theological man crush, <laughs> or you know, it, it, like Mark Driscoll, it, Mark in the past, Driscoll, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. like all of these are. Reformed in their thinking or Calvinist in like their thinking. Like they're squarely you know, so. in the Reformed camp, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. squarely in it. Yep. Yeah. So that's just, yeah. So, so it's sorry. not just Matt Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. He just, he's just, you know, sure. geographically no, close yeah. and a guy yeah. I think of as an example. Yeah. 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 These are the guys that we love. So you asking why we love them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think they do a phenomenal job of uh, explaining what something that's been really missing in my little small part of the Christian world is a reminder of the bigness of God. And I've always loved that. I've always kind of, you know, this is what I share in my heritage, a love for the bigness and the sovereignty of God. Um, And even though I may not totally agree with their fine points of their preaching, or sorry, their fine points of their theology, I love their preaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those guys never stand up, except for maybe John Piper, but those guys usually never stand up and want to argue the fine points of their theology. 
their preaching comes from it, but they usually don't stand up. I, I mean, I'm not going to stand up and, and argue the fine points of this in a sermon on a Sunday morning, which right. is what I get from Tim Keller and John Piper and Matt Chandler. And so when I hear them talk about just the bigness of God and how strong he is and powerful mm-hmm. he is and how he is the one that keeps us strong, I mean, I just resonate with that. Like it just, it just feeds my soul. And so when I hear those guys talk, I'm going, I think I agree with that more than I do some of my Armenian brothers who, I, I know this can be a caricature. I don't really mean to offend it, but the more I hear it, it's like God really is sad in heaven and he really wants you to like him. And if you would just like him more and if you would just, uh, you know, that's what, so what he wants and we can make a difference and we can, we, and you need to do more. And I mean, that's mm-hmm. been kind of our default of our theology. I mean, I, I think it's good for us to be honest. This is where, this is where we haven't been thinking well enough mm-hmm. and we haven't been preaching well enough. Which by the way, practically speaking, that can be seen like, this is how, you know, at Sunnybrook that we kind of love these other preachers and this other idea also is that uh, churches that are Typically, Ar- Arminianism, I don't know, Arminianist. Arminian. Okay, Arminian. Well, they, um, t- like, you might see it in a way that they were going to go after, like, we're going to just think of the newest and best idea to go after and win people to this, and we're going to think through how can we be on the edge um, of getting people here, and that idea, that would stem from this idea that... Um, that is, that's our responsibility. You know what I mean? That yeah. it's not, that yeah. would be because of this free will and because like, so we have this responsibility to try to draw as many people in as possible yep. where that's one of the things that we try not to focus on sure. here. You yeah. know, we're not thinking of what can be the newest catchy way to get people. We think, how can we be obedient to, um, to what the Lord is doing? How can we respond to the Holy Spirit's movement? Right. Yep. And those are, I don't know, that would kind of distinguish us, right? That's how kind of one of the ways that you can tell, sure. I think, of our respect. And, and, and it's not even just trendy. It's even, right. um, I'm going to do a four-week series, that how to be the best you. I'm going to do an eight-week mm-hmm. series. It's on the how attractional. To, how to improve your marriage. Right. I mean, it, it literally becomes a, a lot, in a lot of Arminian, you know, my brothers who I love dearly, they're, they're doing some great application, kind of. And, 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 and every sermon is application. The Reformed guys, the guys that I love, they're preaching through Romans. Right. They're preaching through the right. gospel of Luke. Right. Um, and so there's more of an exegetical base to their, more of an exegetical base to their preaching. So mm-hmm. it's not just, hey, five things on how you can have a better financial plan for 2016. Um, the reform guys don't do that. They're well, and we clearly, from a preaching perspective, lean hard that way. Yeah. 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 So right. Yeah. Line, because, lines up with our love for the Bible. Because when you're when you are Calvinist in your belief and you believe that God has this worked out ahead of time, it's not on you to go like, how can I get more people in this door? And how right. can I and how <laughs> right. because how do I affect their free will and get them to love this and do whatever is flashing? You know what I mean? Or even sometimes like a borderline manipulative altar call where, you know, what I mean, you're really mm. pressing yeah. on the emotions. How do I get them to come make this decision? The Calvinist can kind of rest in the. God's in control of this. So my job is simply to be faithful in presenting the gospel and faithful in preaching his word and then let him kind of do those. Mm-hmm. Let him take care of that. Well, if know? that's true, then we're Calvinist in how we approach yeah, it. We, we are. There's I mean, total, yeah. <laughs> they were definitely that's something that, that I admire about them. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and I'll, one of the things that they have really like reading John Piper in college and stuff really uh, uh, kind of awakened my own heart and soul to is just, a strong emphasis on God and his glory, like the yeah. glory of yeah. God. Yeah. So, cause this is one of the big questions. So if God already has worked out, who's going to be saved, 
then what's the point of evangelism? What's the point of missions? God already knows, so then why am I going to whatever, my next door neighbor or going to Africa or whatever, if God's already got it determined? And the Calvinist answer is, the point of it is God said to, and I want to obey him for his glory. And that's it, right? And then so there's kind of like, that's why I do these things, is for the glory of God. And so that really has put in them a strong emphasis on the focus of my evangelism is God and his glory and my obedience and not... Let's get more people on God's team. Let's get more people on God's team. Please come help God's team. You know what I mean? It's no, God's fine, but I, I want to obey him. And, and there's just, that is put in them a strong emphasis. There's really kind of, I, I want to have that kind of heart. You know yeah. what I mean? It does. Is there any purpose for us preaching the gospel and mm-hmm. doing this at Sunnybrook for a lot of years and just not seeing the kind of fruit that we would want? And the answer is, were we faithfully preaching the gospel? Yes. And then, therefore, God was working in us. I mean, I, I have a bit of a, you could easily say that could be both positions. That statement could come from both sides. But it, it probably resonates more with my Reformed and Calvinistic brothers and sisters than it does many of my Arminian brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So I was teasing a, a couple of buddies of mine um, at the college the other day, and I just said, I'm, I'm finding myself unfollowing more people who have an Arminian perspective on Twitter because I just think their tweets are kind of empty and foolish. And I, and I don't mean I like to have fun. So it's not a matter of they're foolish because it's a picture of their kids. I'm going, no, like their theology it just seems shallow. shallow. I don't even know if it's anti-biblical. It just seems shallow. And yet I'm following more and more of the Andrew Wilsons and the Derek Rishmawis and the, the others who are kind of giving me some big, deep pictures of God. I mean, mm-hmm. Keller's popular right now. And not because he's attractional or he's trying to do something, you know, to just reach people. He believes in the sovereignty and the bigness of God, and he's just going to do that. Well, and there's a love for the for the text, for the scripture, oh, yeah. and the power of the word and yep. what God will do through the faithful preaching of the gospel, which is where we absolutely land. When we have creative arts meetings and we're talking about what we're doing, you know, we sort of went through this conversation a few years ago. How do we preach? And we've talked about it even recently. How do we preach the gospel? even out of the Old Testament books yeah. that we're doing. Yeah. We always want to be gospel-centered in everything that we do. Yeah. And that's just really part of who we are. I don't think of it in these terms of reform versus Armenian or whatever. It just It's just who we are and where we're at. Yeah. Uh, so part of our responsibility, I guess, is just to embrace the tension that exists between things that seem on the surface to be a bit contradictory, yeah. but it goes much, much deeper than that. Much deeper. And uh, we do embrace that. Um, any other thoughts about this and how it plays out in our church, in our lives, in our fellowship here? Um, you know, I, I, I just have this desire for, uh, our listeners, especially for those that really know this subject, maybe even better than we do. Mm-hmm. We're not here as the best, uh, informed people on both sides of this. So I, I promise you, if you're listening to this and you're going, wow, that's kind of a reductionistic, well, by the nature of my limitations and by the nature of the, the podcast itself. Yeah. I, I promise you yeah. we could, we could continue to talk and continue to expand. And so you know, I'm asking for a little bit of grace and a little bit of understanding that what we're trying to do is address this topic as best we can in the time allotted with the understanding that we have and would love to even continue this conversation. We would love to, uh, to expand more. And you can say, wow, there's so much more that could be said. Yep. We get it. Other, other thoughts? Here's, you know, one thing I always say to students, we kind of touched on this, but anytime I'm talking to students about this and they want to kind of learn about it, I, I just like this, you know, to say to them, you, you can reject Calvinism, um, but make sure that anytime you reject it, you, whatever you reject, reject it based on the fact that you find it to be unbiblical. Yeah. 
and not because you find it to be mean or unfair, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I really am convinced this, that whatever God does is going to be right and fair, and he can't be unfair, and he can't be just mean or bad. So if I get to heaven one day and, and, and I discover that it, it was Calvinism all along, that God predetermined everything, I don't think, I know I'm not going to go, this is unfair, this wasn't right, you know? That instead I'm going to, I'm going to say, praise God, you do everything right. You do everything perfectly in your wisdom. And so to kind of trust that. So if, if you read the scriptures and you go, this doesn't line up, that's one thing and that's great. That's a little bit where I lean. Um, but, but we don't reject anything because we think, well, God's not allowed to do that. That's just not the way it works, you know. Good thought. All right. Well, listen, we really do encourage you to uh, get in touch. If you have questions or you want to have more conversation, you can send an email to steve at sunnybrookcc.org. I will make sure it gets to the right person if it's not me, and uh, we'll get you in touch. Call the church office. You know, Let us know uh, what you think, what questions you have. Uh, we'd love to have that conversation, as Jim said, for sure. So thanks for listening. Hope this was helpful.